So turn with me, please, in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Praise the Lord. And he said, uh, verse 15, unto them, uh, let's have a look here in verse 13. And Jesus, when he came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, others Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The rock is not Peter. When we went to Israel, you know, you see Peter holding the keys. There's a statue of him in, in, uh, in where, where's, where's, uh, where's Jesus' headquarters there? Uh, Capernaum. There's a statue of Peter holding the keys because the Catholics believe that he was given the keys because he is the rock. Well, how could any human being be a rock? I mean, Peter messed up more times than any of the other disciples. So if it was based on Peter, our salvation is, is shaky a little bit. Because if he's built the whole church on Peter, dear God, uh, I don't know about that. Because Peter didn't do everything right. He ended his race right. But, you know, he shot his mouth off a lot and, you know, quit on Jesus and denied him and all that stuff. So I don't want my, my, my whole foundation of the church can't be based on a human being. That would be ridiculous. It's got to be based on Jesus. And that's what he's saying. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter, because Peter means pebble. Okay? Well, Simon means pebble. Peter means rock. That's where they get it from, because they think he's talking about his name. But it's not, that's not what he's saying. He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, what? That he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's upon this revelation that I will build my church, not upon a human being then the church is weak because then everything is based on Peter's perfection. This is ridiculous. It's not based on Peter's perfection or your perfection or my perfection. It's based on Jesus' perfection. And for hundreds of years, Reverend Dan, the Catholic Church have misled people on this important point. And, and, and then, you know, that, and then from that one mistake came a whole bunch of other mess. Like you have to confess to a priest. Because the priest is now like God and, and he's perfect and because they thought Peter was perfect. And everything starts to get unraveled if you, if you get the doctrine wrong at the source. But it's based on the rock of revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock he's talking about. That revelation is what he builds his church on because as a born, you can't be part of the church if you're not born again. You're not born again unless you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So on that basic foundation, you get saved and you join the church. You're part of the church. And upon that rock of revelation, the church is built. And the gates... The strongholds, the powers of hell, praise God, will not prevail against it. Against what? The church. Will not overpower. The word prevail means overpower the church. That doesn't mean they don't have any power. They try to withstand the church but, and withstand you because you're part of the church. But they don't have the power to overpower you. Do you understand? They may but push back on you. You heard the testimony, Willie, didn't have your permission, but who really cares, right? Because you're just, you're just one of the leaders and you got nothing to hide. And that was such a great testimony. It really helped people. And we shared your testimony last night. You see the powers of hell, the gates of were pushing against you in that area of the sleep area. And all of us, we have the gates pushing against us in multiple areas right now in our life. And there's gates pushing against the church corporately. And there's this problem and there's that problem. But I've got news for you that the gates are, don't have, they have, they may push but they can't overcome. And there's, a, and there's a big difference there between pushing and overcoming. You might feel the pressure and the rain beat upon the house, but the one that was founded upon the rock did not fall. So the pressure came, but the pressure didn't overpower the house. The right, the pressure came, but it did not overpower. Okay, and I will, but see, it's great to say that. Amen, praise God, the devil won't overcome, but you don't read verse, verse 19 and I'm gonna work for you. It's not just a great say, oh, thank God that the, the gates won't overcome me. Well, there's, a, the, there's more to it than just the knowledge that the devil can't overcome you. Otherwise, if it wasn't more to it, <laughs> then he wouldn't have put verse 19. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind, thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
And then he charged the disciples that they should tell no man that he was the Christ. Matthew 16, 19 is a very, very important verse for every one of us. I know you know this, but some of you, I just sense you need a reminder. And so the Holy Ghost, because I wasn't planning on doing this, but I heard him say, you, you talk on that a little bit tonight and then, and we'll just see what he says. I want to read that to you from Matthew 16, 18. Uh, 19, sorry, from the Amplified. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever you bind, declared to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven. And whatsoever you loose, declare lawful on earth, must be, must be, future, what is already past, loosed on earth. This is one of the few times in the, in the New Testament where there is an imperfect tense in the Greek in terms of all three, all three uh, past, present, future are, are represented here. What he's saying is, whatever you bind, mm-hmm. you have to do it, okay, uh, will, has been, will be bound. That's why it's an imperfect tense. What he's trying to say is, it already has been because of the power of God. Now, now he's prophesying this at, before his death, but we know that at his death, he destroyed sin. He destroyed the enemy. So this is, really a, a, this is really for the church age. Do you understand? Now, did the church age exist when he said this? No. When the church age started, when he rose again and he set his blood at the right hand of the mercy seat of God. The right, in the mercy seat of God, he sat down at the right hand of God. So technically, he's prophesying about the church. Yeah. So at that moment, the disciples can't do this. Do you understand this? They can't leave Caesarea Philippi and start binding and loosing. Because it hasn't happened yet. He hasn't granted authority to the church. He could only grant authority on the day that he rose, uh, almost 40 days or so after he rose again. He accomplished it when he rose again. But he didn't grant authority to the church until the day when he went up in the clouds. In Matthew 28, he said, all authority is given unto me. Now you, therefore, you go, meaning I'm giving it to you. At that point, he delegated authority to the church. And what was prophesied in this verse, chapter 16, verse 19, was fulfilled in Matthew, same, same book, but Matthew 28 instead of chapter 16. It was fulfilled then. Why? Because the church age started when he rose, but they had to delegate authority to the church, which he didn't do until Matthew 28. Do you understand? So did you notice he says the word church? The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. It's the first time church is mentioned in, Jesus, in the book of Matthew. It's one of the only times he talked about the word church. That's really the first time we see it in, in Scripture from the context of his ministry here. So the church has not happened until he rises. So this is a prophecy more, it, more than actually activating at that moment. It's a prophecy. He's saying, I'm letting you know something. Yeah. On this revelation that I am the Christ meaning that I died and rose again and defeated the devil. How could it have to be after? Because he was the firstborn of the dead. He hadn't been born again yet. So how could they be born again yet? They can't be born again till he's born again. They can't be born again till he loses his salvation. I know people don't like that kind of preaching, but that's the doggone truth about it. You see, I've been with Reverend Randy for a little while. That's a doggone truth about it. Jesus lost his salvation when he was separated from God at the cross. He, all his life, he lived in perfect union because he never sinned. Sin is what separates. But on that cross, it didn't happen when he was whipped. It didn't happen when they put the thorns. It didn't happen when they nailed him. He was still in perfect union with God. But on that cross, somewhere in that six-hour period, I don't exactly know when because the Bible doesn't say, but Jenny, at some point in that six-hour period, all the sin of humanity, the, the wrath of God, yeah. he became the brass serpent. He became sin. He didn't look like sin. He became a snake. That's why it says in 2 Corinthians, it talks about, uh, in John 3, sorry, it talks about that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What he's saying is, I am becoming the serpent. People find it hard to understand that because he's our precious Jesus. How could you call him a snake? He's not a snake, but he became sin, 2 Corinthians 5 says. He didn't, he didn't take sin, he became sin, which means he became the snake, which is why he is the snake on the pole. And it was a brass snake, not a wood snake or a silver snake or a gold snake, because brass always represents judgment. And God was pouring out the wrath, his judgment against sin. And Jesus on that cross took every bit of sin. And it wasn't till the cross when that came on him on that cross. That's when he cried out, why, oh my my God, why, why have you turned away from me? God turned away from him and could not look at his own son, which had become a snake. Yes, right. wow. 
And at that moment, he was an unsaved man. He was a sinner just like we were before we were saved. He became a sinner. You people don't understand that. Jesus lost his connection with the Father, but not till he was on that cross. Every other moment leading up until that moment, he had relationship. He didn't need to be born again because he was born of the Spirit. He was like a child in his spirit. When I was a little child, when you were, I don't know about Taylor, but when most of you were little children, we were innocent before God. Up to a certain age, we're innocent, right? And that means if children die in that state, they don't go to hell because their spirit's alive unto God. They are born of the spirit and also of the flesh because they're innocent. But at the age of accountability, Romans chapter 7, verse 8 says, at that age, sin comes and you die. Not physically, but your spirit man is separated spiritually from God. So Jesus lived his whole life until that moment, Reverend Dan, like a child does today. He was 30 years old, 33 and a half years old, but in his spirit, he was perfectly pure and innocent. He had never sinned. So just like a child is not dis- disconnected from God until sin takes hold, sin never took hold on Jesus. He's the only human being that ever lived with sin not taking hold on him. He was tempted in every area like you are. He had pornography and temptations just like we do. He has uh, to, th- to lie and to cheat and to steal. I'm telling you, he was tempted in every area, and yet he said no. And he lived like a little child lives today. But all the way through his, there was no age of accountability for Jesus. There was no age of accountability because he never sinned. Do you understand? Because he stayed perfect. When I say no age, there was obviously a time he knew right and wrong, but he still chose to say no. So he never reached accountability from a sin perspective. But on that cross, he became a sinner. So he had to take my place, your place on this realm, breathing oxygen and my sickness and my sin and my separation so that he would understand what the sinner feels like. Otherwise, he can't take the sinner's place. So he understands what every sinner out there feels like because he's been a sinner. And then he had to take the price of the sinner and go down, Ephesians 4 says, go down into the underworld and and pay the price of the sinner in hell because if somebody doesn't pay it, somebody else has to pay it, which would be us because we don't qualify to get out of jail free. And he goes down there as a sinner, as a lost man, condemned to hell, and he's trusting his father. Father, if if you leave me in there, Read Psalm 118 to freak you out because all the way through Psalm 118, which he sang before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, all that way it says, you will not leave me in the underplace of the earth. You will not forsake me. The bulls of Bashan surround me, but you will deliver me. I mean, it is such an amazing psalm when you think about what he was about to go through. This is the day, the day he was going to be nailed to the cross. This is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in my cross. What does the Bible say in Romans? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy. He went to the cross with joy. That's why he said, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. I will joy in this day because I'll bring many sons to glory. I mean, it's an astonishing thought that my Jesus went through that for me. It's an astonishing thought, Reverend Dan. And he goes down as a sinner, a lost man. If God hadn't intervened, he'd still be there today. But the Holy Ghost came. (laughs) The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That spirit came in that cell. Doctor saw it in a vision. He saw the bars explode. He saw Jesus look up and lock eyes with the devil and walk over and say, give him to me and kick him in his forehead. And he flipped over on his throne. Now, whether that happened or not, that's what doctors saw. I don't know. I'm just saying what he saw. But we know the Holy Ghost came in that cell. And we know that he became the first man that was born again in hell. He couldn't have gone to paradise like he said to the guy, today you'll be with me in paradise. He couldn't have got over there if he was a sinner. Paradise was for righteous men. Torment was for unrighteous men. He died an unrighteous man. So he was in the tormenting part of hell. And he could see Abraham over there across the great divide. But the Holy Ghost came and quickened him and the sinner became a saint in hell. I'm telling you, the devil witnessed the first person being born again. Yeah. 
in front of his face. The son of God that he had planned for thousands of years to kill, that he tried to block the seed line. He sent angels to sleep with women. There were giants on there. He tried to kill David. He tried all the way along to stop him. He tried all his life, and then he thought, I got you. The Sanhedrin turned against you. The Romans turned against you. I got you. And then that same man in the prison looks at him, born again. <laughs> I'm telling you, Jenny, he's born again. He stands looking at him, born again. His relationship separated by sin was all of a sudden sin was removed because the price had been paid and the Holy Ghost came and made his spirit alive unto God a second time. It was alive up until he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Then he died spiritually. Now he becomes alive a second time, which is being born of the spirit a second time, which is called being born again. That's why the Bible says in about six different verses in the New Testament, he was the firstborn of many brethren. He was a born again man. It's astonishing. That's why Satan hates altar calls. That's why Satan hates people getting born again. It it haunts him even to this day, Jennifer, because he saw the first one. He saw him be born. I'm telling you, can you imagine that? He must relive that. He'll relive that for eternity. He saw the Holy Ghost come into a sinner and make him new. And he watched it. I'm telling you, that is, I, I, just, I still can't fathom that. And he said, give me those keys of death and hell. And he took them. And he went to preach to those angels that had sex with women. And he said, and I don't know what he preached, but I want to hear that sermon on, on heavenly Blu-ray when I get to heaven. Because it's recorded. There's cameras everywhere. I'm telling you. You think that sermon's not recorded, Dan? It's recorded. I know there was an angel with a video camera there or something, but it's recorded. And he said something along the lines of, you tried and you failed. You tried to block me, I still came. He preached with the spirits in Tartarus, the Bible said. That's a special designation just for those angels that left their first estate and mingled with human seed when they were forbidden by God to do that, to try to block Jesus. And he got, I mean, talk about kicking the dog when he's down, Jenny. He knocked the dog down. That's Satan. He took his keys away, took his authority away. And then just to give him another little shh, he goes to the angels and says, hey, look at this. Hey, look at this, boys. Hey, look at this. You losers. I beat all of you. And you're stuck here forever, and I'm going to sit at my father's throne. I'm telling you, he crosses the gulf. He comes to them. And can you imagine the park? Can you imagine David? Can you imagine Moses? Can you imagine Daddy Abraham? As he crosses that divide, he's crossing it. He's obviously floating or flying or something. He doesn't have a ladder. He's not hiking up with, you know, low ropes. <laughs> Jesus is flying across the great divide that separates torment hell from paradise hell. Did you ever think about these things? I think about this stuff. He didn't have climbing equipment. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't doing that. He just soared over that divide. And I know they saw him coming. The first born again man, they saw him coming. Can you imagine the shout in paradise? Can you imagine how they would have jumped him? Can you imagine how they would have hugged him? What do you think he was doing for the entire time that we are crying while he's in the grave? What do you think he was doing? He was having a party in paradise. It took that long just to say hi to everybody. I'm serious. You know, oh, I know that. You say, oh, yeah, that's your opinion. No, that's not my opinion. The Bible said today you'll be with me in paradise. He died at 3 p.m. The day ended at 6 p.m. So he was only in torment for a very short time. He had to be in torment, raised from the dead, knock the devil over, take the keys, preach to the spirits, and soar over the gulf. And he only had three hours to do all of that. He wasn't in torment for long because it says he tasted death. He didn't partake of death. It was an hors d'oeuvre. How long does it take you to eat an hors d'oeuvre? It doesn't take you as long to eat the hors d'oeuvre as it takes you to eat the whole roast beef dinner. It's just a quick little taste. He tasted it, and then it was over. But because he tasted it, I never have to taste it. And boys, come on now with me now. Come on now. Come on. Some of you are going to go. The grave's going to open. You're going to walk around, freak everybody out. But you don't have long because, you know, we, we, we just a quick stopover before we go see my father. And that's what happened on resurrection morning. All the graves broke, people raised from the dead. They were coming out of paradise. Telling people, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Mary, don't touch me, woman. 
she couldn't sing, he touched me because he didn't touch her. He said, don't touch me, woman, because my blood is precious and you're not, and I'm going to take it. But when he comes on back, he says, hug me now. Right? She couldn't sing that at that moment, but you could sing it later that day. And he takes that blood and he puts it on the mercy seat. And he gets that robe. Oh, my God. <laughs> that robe with every name of every devil, every sickness, every failure, every darkness sewn in gold thread in that robe. And Isaiah saw it many years before. I saw the Lord lifted up and his train, the train of his glory, filled the temple, filled it. The train was so long with the names of his enemies inscribed. For every name is submitted to that name. And he sits down, Dan, by his father. Can you imagine the, the party in heaven? And he goes, I, I can't get into it, but if you're studying the New Testament in the Greek, it means that they would go out. And he went out with that robe and he began to celebrate in the streets. And they were dancing and praising that the enemy had been defeated. I preached that to you. I studied it all out. In the Greek, it even refers to that party in heaven, in the streets of glory. The day that Jesus rose, it's referred to as the, festi the festival of Dionysus, uh, or the drunken, lewd festival that they would have. Paul is trying to find something to compare the party in heaven, and the only thing he can fathom in his mind is this debauchery and craziness that would happen at the wine festival where everybody's screaming and laughing and drunk and just, just debauchery. But he uses that as an example in the Greek to say, as you see this, this just uh, uncontrolled party in a negative way. It was an uncontrolled party on the streets of glory when Jesus walked with that robe. That's what he compares the two to. I'm telling you, this is Jesus. I got on that rampage or tirade, or whatever you want to call it. But I got on that because I'm trying to remind you that Jesus, this could not be referring this when he said this. He's talking about the church. He can't, the church can't happen until the firstborn starts the church. So they can't bind and loose with keys, Jenny, because they don't have the keys because they're not part of the church yet. They didn't get part of the church till he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. You know, the first group of people were the disciples. They're the first ones to get born again. And they got born again on the day that Jesus rose. Because he walked through the wall. And of course, Thomas was late. He was in a meeting somewhere. He was late. He missed the born again experience. He had to get it later. And he breathed on them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Because remember, when you get born again, the spirit comes inside of you. Then he fills you later, but he comes inside of you when you get saved. Now they're part of the church. So this applies, but it doesn't apply because he hasn't granted them that authority yet. That didn't happen until he goes up into the clouds. Remember he said, the angel said, why are you crying? The same way you've seen him go, he'll come. Which meant Jesus went with the sound of a trumpet and he went with a loud voice. Because the same way he goes, he's coming. And when he comes back, there's a sound of a trumpet and there's a loud voice. I'm telling you. Now, Jesus said, I give you the keys. Whatsoever you bind shall have been bound. When you do it, remember he's prophesying for the future. This doesn't apply at the moment in Caesarea Philippi. So now let's fast forward now until we're born again part of the church. Now, whatever we bind shall have been bound. Whatever I do present because of what Jesus did past, the power of God will back up my words and cause it to manifest future. Whatever ye bind shall have been bound. It's an imperfect tense. All three, all three tenses are seen in this verse, in the Greek language. Whatever you do today, Gloria, it, because it has been, it shall be. Whatever you say, Chantel, whatever you say against the gates of hell, whatever you declare unlawful, it, because it has been, it shall be, according to your word. If it hadn't been, it couldn't be. But because he did it, now his power has been released, but he's waiting for you to say it for the power that has been to start to activate and work with your words so that it can manifest what you say in the future. So if you don't say it, it don't happen. You got to get this. If you don't say it, it doesn't happen. It's a simple thing, but it's never left me. When that woman was bringing the body of Christ into error, and she didn't repent, and the par partner with her didn't repent, the man, and God gave them a season, and there was a lot of nonsense going on. I know personally ministers that were involved in that, and it was, uh, a, I'm not saying God can't bring stuff as gold dust, but not in the way that they were doing it. It was a fake. It was a demonic manifestation. 
It was not from God, and Dad Hagen knew it wasn't from God, and so did Randy Greer. God gave a season of repentance for that woman. She wouldn't repent. She kept proliferating this nonsense. And so he said to Randy, you must speak. You must pronounce judgment so I can cause your words to come to pass. Do you understand that that couldn't have happened if Randy as a prophet hadn't have said it? Because God works with our words. But there must be a person, a human to give voice to his instruction for now God power to piggyback on those words and cause it to come to pass. So when he pronounced that and she dropped dead three days later or four days later, whatever it was, and they couldn't figure out why she just dropped dead. Because when you print, uh, what? But it was instant though, honey. It wasn't, it, the other one was long. The, the man took a year to die. But that woman died. It wasn't cancer. It was the other one that died of cancer. That woman died. There was no, they didn't know why she died, but she dropped dead. Three, between three and seven days. I don't know which one it was, but it was within that week. It wasn't longer than a week. And she just, just fell down, dead. Her heart stopped. Just like that in ice and Sapphira. But and that's not the point. The point is, God couldn't, God couldn't do certain things unless a word was spoken because he works with our words. And I know some folk believe that there's no judgment in the New Testament. I would tend to agree with you from one perspective that Ananias and Sapphira, you can't prove theologically that that was God that did that. I've tried. You can't in the Greek. You, you just can't. It, you can't do it. I know some people try to do it, but you can't do it. It could have been God and it could have not been God. I don't know. The impression is that it's God because Peter spoke and all of a sudden they're dead. And there was sin against the Holy Ghost. So that is the strong indication that God did that. But you can't guarantee that from Scripture. But what you can guarantee from Scripture is when the king spoke, was, was, had his hand against the church and decapitated James then tried to take Peter. And then he gave himself glory instead of giving glory to God. It says the angel of the Lord smote him. Not a demon. The angel of the Lord. God's angel smote him and he died. It wasn't instant, but it took time. Within a year he was dead. But he died because the angel smote him. So the angel smote people in the Old Testament. But this is New Testament under the dispensation of grace. This is the church age and God smote people. So because of we know that he can smoke, that, that means it probably, Ananias' fire probably was God. But you can't prove it. There were three bankers that stood against Dr. Sumrall. Wouldn't give him a loan. A loan. Mocked him. Berated him. Persecuted him. <laughs> I don't know about all this stuff, Dan, but all I know is don't mess with Dr. Sumrall. And God said, lift up your voice. And he pronounced judgment on those bankers and all three of them dropped dead in less than a year. All three of them. I'm telling you, I'm not, I'm just saying there's stuff about God that we better take seriously and humbly and reverently because God's not to be messed with even in the New Testament. How many martyrs, honey, has it been for David? 24? 26. 26, now I don't think there's a correlation, but 26 people have been martyred under him. And 26 people, I don't think, I don't know if there's a correlation. He doesn't either. So don't add something to it. But he just said, it's interesting. It's the same number. But anyway, but 26 people have stood against him to try to take his life and to try to lie about him and to try to get him imprisoned and to try to put assassination attempts on him. Cartel bosses, uh, private businessmen, government officials. Over the years, 26 people have tried to assassinate and kill him or destroy his life. And on 26 occasions, God has said, speak. And on 26 occasions, he has lifted up his voice and said, I pronounce judgment. And in 26 cases, they dropped dead. 26. 26, Jenny. One man lost his mind. Like you see Nebuchadnezzar, like you see, was it Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind? And he became like an animal, like a cow. And he would wander on all fours eating the grass until his ranch hands in Mexico thought this guy's crazy. They took a gun and they shot him in the back of the head. Other people died instantly of heart attacks. Other people were assassinated by other cartel members that were infighting. I'm telling you, but 26 people, when he pronounced the word, by, because you can't do that because you're mad at somebody. You can only do that when God himself tells you and you have to stand in an office. That's not for lay people, that is for an office. An office only with God telling them. And usually only the higher office is the prophet and the apostle, although I can't prove that. My point is, you got, God works with words.
He can't do judgment without words. He can't cause things to come to pass. He can't manifest what Jesus has paid for. He can't cause it to come unless you say, whatsoever you bind shall have been bound. Whatever you bind shall come to pass because it has been paid for. Do you understand? And you're part of the church. So you qualify for this. So just to remind you, you know Dr. Lowe, and you know he cut off those five, those 12, sorry, and then 42 grew back. And you know that he prayed five years of good Pentecostal prayer. Norval Hayes, oh God, please heal my daughter. Oh God, please heal my daughter. Let me tell you something. Oh God, please heal my daughter doesn't heal your daughter. Pentecostals don't like that talk, but it's true. Now, if some person's interceding, God can heal the daughter because of the intercession and they thought it was because they prayed. But it had nothing to do with their prayer. It had to do with the intercession of somebody else. Or it could have been their intercession that they're prayed, but their, their words in English are wrong, but their intercession got the job done, but then they didn't learn the lesson that saying, oh God, please heal my daughter, doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. I'm telling all of you, if you've got a problem, it's not going to work to say, Lord, give me a job. And it's not going to work to say, God, please heal my son. And it's not going to work to say, Lord, please heal me of cancer. That's not how it works. It sounds like it does, doesn't it, Jenny? Because it sounds spiritual. It sounds religious. Well, I'm praying and I'm asking God. But that's not, how, that's not how the realm of the Spirit works. And five long years he prayed the good Pentecostal prayer until he finally got fed up. The problem with Christians, they don't get fed up fast enough. It took him five years. I hope it doesn't take you five years. And he started beating his fist on the ground. I have a right to know. I have a right to know, Lord. I have a right to know why this doesn't work. I'm your child. I have a right to know. Three weeks he beat the ground. Three weeks he beat the ground, crying out to God, Lord, why won't it work? Lord, why won't it work? And then he was caught away in the spirit, in heaven. Didn't see God, but he said it was crystal clear white, not an ounce, not a speck of gray. The, 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 the purity of truth was overwhelming. He didn't see God, but he heard God in a loud voice. It was God the Father, not God the Son, and not God the Holy Ghost. It was God the Father. How long are you going to walk around in darkness? Stumble around in darkness. How long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter's body? Asked him two questions. And he started to stammer and said, Lord, they're not on my body. You mean putting up? I'm not putting up with them. They're on my daughter. They're on my daughter's body. And and God, how long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter? How long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter's body? How long are you going to put up with that sleep problem? Right, Willie? How long are you going to put up with that pain in your side? The prayer, oh God, heal me for the pain, don't work. Because he's already done the healing. It doesn't work for you to ask him to heal. You already did it. It's like Taylor saying, please give me my paycheck. I've already given you a paycheck. I can't help you. Go to your bank and take out the money. I can't give you more. I've already given it. I've already given you the healing. You've got to take it out. You've got to use it. I can't give it more. I've done it. The way you subtract it is not the pin number with your fingers, it's with your mouth. It's with your authority. It's with binding and loosing. Whatever you declare lawful, Rosita, will be permitted. Whatever you declare unlawful, God himself will back you up if you believe it. This preaching has to help people because sometimes people forget that they've been granted this divine measure of holy authority. That whatsoever you say, it will come to pass. In the negative too, you keep saying, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. You'll die. My grandmother said all her life, I don't want a rotten letter from the queen because she was an Afrikaner and she was the queen's British and she hates the British because the British killed her uncles in the Boer War in Africa in 1899. And she's still holding a grudge. And in 100, you know, they send a letter. If you were part of the thing, South Africa was still a part and Australia where she moved was a part of the British Empire. The queen writes a personal letter. Congratulations on your centennial. I don't want a rotten letter from the rotten queen. I'd rather die before I get that letter. She died at 99 and three quarters. Healthy. Smoked two packs of cigarettes for 60 years. Drank a liter of vodka for 60 years every day. I don't have a memory of my grandmother without a whiskey in her hand and a cigarette in her fingers. I have no memory one time ever seeing her without taking a sip and taking a thing. Taking a, she drank that for 60 years and she lived to So Don't tell me all this stuff kills you because it don't. It's all based on genes. Her genes were super strong. I'm telling you, she didn't die of lung cancer and she didn't die of cirrhosis of the liver. She should have died of both and she didn't. She died because of her words. 
I'm not telling you to go and smoke or drink. I'm just saying it's amazing. Some people, they die because they've got weak genes and other people, they've got genes made of steel. Right, Jenny? I don't mean Levi's. I mean genes inside made of steel. That's part of my heritage. I'm claiming that. Father, I'm not drinking and smoking. I better live to 120. If I got her genes, I'm going to outlive her. I'm not doing all that bad stuff. <laughs> right, Jenny? You want to live with me that long? I don't know. She's not surely in agreement. <laughs> the cirrhosis didn't kill her and the lung cancer didn't kill her, but her words killed her. Because if you really believe something and you keep saying it, you'll deceive your own heart into believing it's true. And then the, the law of God will kick in, positive or negative. How long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter's body? But Lord, I'm not putting up with those growths on my daughter's body. My daughter's putting up with them. You're the head of your house. Remember, Jenny, he screamed it. And he said, lightning flash. This is in the throne room of God. You're the head of your house. You're the head of your house. You have a right to speak. And don't think because you're not the man that you're not the head of your house. All of us are the head of our temples. Do you understand? And if the head of your house in the natural is not taking care of business spiritually, as the woman, you can certainly step up and become the spiritual head of your house real quick. You can. A child can become the spiritual head. I know Joe Marcilla was the spiritual head of his house with two parents. He was. Because they wouldn't do the right thing, but he rose up, whatever he said goes. God don't care about all that gender stuff or even about child versus parent. He cares about spiritual stuff. And he said, you're the head of your house. I mean, he yelled it to him. You're the head of your house. And I, I want to read it so that I don't, I don't get it wrong. Then he said this, why are you putting up with those growths in your house for? They're not from heaven. You belong to heaven. How long are you going to put up with those growths on your daughter's body? You're the boss of your house. God gets upset, Jenny, when we don't use the authority that we have been given. When we put up with things. And there are things, Jenny, as we're worshiping, he convicted me. He said, you know that thing that you and your wife are facing? You know what I'm talking about? That we were talking about on the way down here? That thing that we're dealing with? He said, well, how long are you going to put up with that? He said that to me when we were worshiping. How long are you going to put up with that? And I did the same that Norville did. I should have learned better. I said, what do you mean? I'm not really putting up with it. I mean, it's that somebody else that's doing this. Not really. How long are you going to put, you are the head of your house. How long are you going to put up with that? And then I heard him say, you preach that tonight. I'm preaching this as much for me as of you. And if you don't like it, I need it. Because there's stuff that I have to deal with that I kind of get a bit loosey-goosey on because it seems too big. It seems too strong. It seems that that wall of devils won't move. But if I have the authority and I've been given keys because I am, I am a born-again man after my first born-again of the dead. He is my master. And he is born again and I'm born again and I'm in the church. And he said, I give you keys. Whatever you say, will, it will happen for you. The cow will not prevail if you speak. You got growths? Why are you putting up with those growths in your daughter's body? You're the head of your house. Amen. Speak and believe. The key is, you can't just say it, you got to believe it. Yes. That's why I'm preaching to you for faith to come up inside your heart. Yes. That you'll believe that what you say will come to pass. Yes. I'm telling you about it, it works, brother. Amen. One more time, why are you putting up with those growths on your, on your, in your house for? And don't you get upset about prayer? You didn't come to pray anyway. You were hoping I'd preach. Just admit it. Not you, but everybody else was hoping I'd preach. Why are you putting up with those gross in your house for? They're not from heaven. Torment is not from heaven. Darkness is not from heaven. Pain is, pain is not from heaven. Sleepless is not from heaven. Addictions are not from heaven. They're from hell. The author from him. He's the author of them. If anything is going on that it's not from heaven, you have a right to speak to it. I'm telling fear is not from heaven. Amen. An inability to learn for children that have inability, they have problems that they can't learn. That's not from heaven. It's not from heaven. I'm telling you, it's not from heaven. ADHD, where they can't concentrate, that's not from heaven. It's not. It's not. Nightmares are not from heaven. Pain in your knees is not from heaven. It's not from heaven. We've got to take a moment and really assess what's happening in our house. 
If it's in my house and it's not from heaven, why am I putting up with it? I'm the head of my house. I have a right to speak to it. I've been given keys. Whatever I say will happen. And God was basically preaching to Norval Hayes in heaven, in his throne room, Matthew 16, 19. That's basically what he was preaching to them because this is in the Bible. This is not an experience we're following. We're following the word. The experience brings illustration to the word, but it's the word we're following. And he says, God got upset. He, he said to him, uh, they're not from heaven. How long are you going to put up with those gross in your daughter's body? You're the boss of your house. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm the head of my house. I see it. I see it. But what do I need to do? I, I want to obey you, but I don't know how to do it. And God answered. Here's the answer. Have you ever cursed those roots, the roots of those growths on your daughter's body in my name like I did the fig tree? Question mark. If you will curse the roots of those growths in your daughter's body and you will curse them in my name, they will die and they will disappear. If you believe and not doubt, that's the kicker. They will die like the fig tree died when I cursed it. Now, son, you go back now to the earth. But don't doubt me. Believe me, son. Don't doubt me and you'll see the glory of God. And as he's descending out of the glory and he can feel the darkness of the atmosphere and the demons, because demons fill this atmosphere. We don't even realize it because we're so used to it. But when you're in heaven and there's nothing but purity and you come down to this filth hole, this sewer that we live in, this, this atmosphere is a sewer of demons. And as he's descending into the sewer, so to speak, he heard the voice get fainter and fainter and fainter until he couldn't hear it anymore. And the voice of the father said, uh, if you believe and not doubt, if you believe and not doubt, if you believe and not doubt, you'll see the glory of God. If you believe and not doubt, if you believe and not doubt, then he was back in his body. He picked up his step as where he was stepping, he was pulled away and he picked up his step in mid step. He picked up his step. And he's going in to talk to Zona. She's got her boyfriend there. And he hears a voice. Don't go in there. She'll embarrass her. Don't go in there. You'll embarrass her. And then the, devil, then the voice of the devil started pleading with him. Please don't go in there. You'll embarrass her. Please. I'm going. You know, Norval. I'm going. He kicked the door open. He said, Zona, I've just come from heaven. <laughs> she said, Daddy, why, why are you embarrassing me? And her boyfriend thinks he's nuts to begin with. Now he just says he's come from heaven. God told me if I curse the gross, gross in your body that they'll die and disappear. And he, and he said to the young man, what was his name? I, I got it somewhere here. Bobby. He said, do you believe it, Bobby? He said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever you say, sir. And he said, I, and he started to curse them right there while they're watching television. And he walks away. And you'd think, well, after that, glory, I'm sure they dropped off just like that. Oh, no, sir. No, they just kept getting bigger and more blood and more pus and more crust and more gross and they just kept getting grosser and grosser and, but he see he had had experience with God now why did it take that long because his faith had to grow God just spoke to him so there was a measure of faith but it had to grow it took 40 days and 40 nights same length of time I fasted. I know how long that is. Rob, it felt like 95 days, didn't it? Yeah, uh, uh, we, we know, <laughs> praise God. But 40 days and 40 nights, every day, every time he thought about it, Father, and he didn't, he didn't curse it. He already cursed it once. He just said, Father, I thank you. Thank you for removing the growths from my daughter's body. Father, I praise you. My daughter's skin is clean and pure. He didn't say it again. He said it one time in front of Bobby. I curse the roots of those growths and I commend you in the name of Jesus to die. I'm the head of my house and you are not permitted. You are not from heaven. And whatever I say goes and whatever I bind, it shall be bound. And I commend you, leave my daughter's body. That was it one time. That's all you have to say if you believe. And then for 40 days, he didn't have to curse them. For 40 days, he praised. It took 40 days of praise, Jenny, for the power of God finally for his praise to meet the level required because praise is faith. As he's praising, he's saying, I trust you. I don't see it, but I trust you. I don't see it, but I trust you. You see, and his faith's growing. And it took 40 days for his faith to get to the point where God approved of his faith and said, that's enough. And she's pulling the clothes out for one season, getting ready for the next. And she's putting the old clothes on the bed. And she's coming back to the closet to get the next thing. And there's a full mirror. And as she comes back, she leaves, she walks. And for the time she passes the mirror to put the things on the bed and then comes back to the mirror, which is what, four seconds? Less maybe, three seconds? She catches a glance of herself in the mirror as she's walking back. And she takes a double take and all 42 growths instantly disappeared within three seconds and she screamed 
and he's downstairs and he hears ah! and he doesn't know what's happening zona and he hears and she's running to the door and she miscalculated and hit the frame of the door instead of going through the door and hit her head and knocked herself out and bang and he hears boom zona no silence zona silence he starts to run my god what happened he's running she comes to i guess it was a short knockout 10 seconds, whatever it was, she comes to, got a big thing on her forehead. She comes to and meets him in the hallway and she's screaming and crying and, Daddy, 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 this is freaky. Daddy, 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 Daddy. And she's hyperventilating almost. And he's looking at her skin and he's looking at her legs and he's looking at her torso and her back and 42 gross that had grown and the blood coming out of them and awful like baby skin. Like baby skin, Jenny. Isn't that astonishing? And after that, she backslid. Oh, yeah. Gave him hell on earth. But he didn't quit on her. He didn't kick her out when he could have. But he said, God, you need, to, you need to visit my daughter. And an angel walked into Zona's room and scared the living hell right out of her. Literally. When that angel, she had an experience, an angel walked into her room in full glory. And that angel scared her so much, she repented, got back with God, and then is in, she's gone now, but was in the ministry all her life with him. She actually died before he died, didn't she, honey? Yeah. But all his life, all her life, he saw her minister. And they were minister partners, and she cast out devils, and she ran his school and had a glorious ministry. But I'm telling you, my brother and sister, whatever you say, if you believe, the key is whatsoever things... You bind on earth, shall be bound in heaven. Amen. If you shall say unto this mountain, yes, be ye removed and cast into the sea, and you shall not doubt in your heart, mm -hmm. but believe that what you say sure. will come to pass. You'll have whatsoever you say. Brother Taylor, you've got to not doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say, things will obey what you say. Yeah. That's the a simpler version if you believe what you say will come to pass, what you're saying is, I believe that it will obey me. Amen. The mountain will obey me. The mountain will obey me. If I believe it, the mountain will obey me. Today, I cast the devil out of somebody. I did. There was a, a person that was greatly oppressed. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, cast that thing out. And so I put my hands on that person. And, and I could feel the presence of darkness. It wasn't, didn't scare me, but I could feel it. It's emanating off them. See, every time I face that, I remember this. I'm the head of my house. My house includes this church. This church is my house. Anybody that walks under this property is part of my spiritual house. I'm the head of this house. What I say goes. And if I command a devil to come out, whether in my physical house or whether at 140 Capital Court, has to listen to me. Okay, now if I'm out somewhere, it's not my house, but it's somewhere else on the streets, it will still obey me because I believe whatsoever things I say, I command it. And if I believe in my heart that it will obey me, it, because wherever I go, really, it's my property. Do you understand? You come on in the street, I don't own that pavement, but you've come into my bubble. That's my property. That's my property. What I say goes in my property. Not on my property, devil. You can't do it on my property. I don't care where I am. I'm the head spiritually where I am. And I said, I command you, come out of him. And that thing left. And I followed up some hours later. I said, are you free? Is there a change? I feel totally free. There's peace in my mind. I feel the pressure on my mind gone. You see, but I didn't have to say it more than once. I didn't have to get all hyperventilated about it. We've got to get so used to the fact that what we say goes. What we say goes. I'm the head of my house. Not on my property, devil, you don't. I'm the head of my house. If I command it, it will obey me because Jesus has given me the keys of the kingdom and what I say, it will happen. But you've got to meditate on this until it gets so deep inside of you. Because when people tell me I rebuked it and it didn't leave, no, 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 no. That's not possible. You said words, but you didn't believe what you said. Because Jesus said to Dad Hagen, remember, honey? He said, what if I cast out the devil and they don't come out? And he said, I said they'll come out. And he said, but what if I say it and they, and Jesus got mad. Remember, Dad Hagen said fire came out of his eyes. And he said, I said it. And when I tell you, it will happen. You do it in my name. 
and it will come out. So he don't like us arguing with him. What if is not part of his vocabulary. You've got to believe it. So it's not possible, which I get every now and then, I've done everything you've said and it hasn't worked. No, you haven't done everything I've said. It has to work. If it doesn't work, Jesus is a liar. It has to work. The difference is you haven't done everything that's read. Mark eleven twenty three says, you don't really believe that it will obey you. If you really believe it will obey you, it will obey you. But you don't really believe. There's still something in the back of your mind that says, what if? Maybe it won't. What's my backup plan when it doesn't? If you even think those thoughts, it can read your mind. Demons can read thoughts. They know exactly what you're thinking. And they will exploit that doubt. And they won't obey you if they know that you don't believe it. That's why I meditate on this. That's why it's in my spirit rolling around all the time because you never know when something's going to come up. You never know when you're going to have to deal with something in your body or in somebody else's body. And I've got to stay ready. I'm the head of my house, Jenny. He said, I'm the head of my house. I'm not putting up with certain things. Not in my house. And even if it's not in my house, I'm not putting up with things for those that come and ask my help because I'm still, they've submitted to my authority, which means I'm the head of that house. It's on my property. Do you understand? And I really believe that this will work. I'm telling you. And if it doesn't come out, it's not my fault. Because I say, then it means that the other person is not doing what they need to do. And sometimes it does take time. Not every demon comes out right away. But if they'll just cooperate with God, it will leave them. It will leave them. Pastor Ernie Reb in the Philippines, Dad Hagen talked. And that demon got a hold of that man, that worker, and was tearing him and biting him. And the, and the workers, they're very superstitious. They're fearful. And they see him being attacked by an invisible force. He's a woodworker working on his house. And he's screaming. And Ernie come, Pastor Reb comes up there and he can see the teeth marks and the blood flowing. Just like Clarita, he can see the blood flow. He can see the indentation as it's happening. Even though there's no teeth, but he can see it like there's teeth because there are teeth that are just invisible to you. And he can see the skin puncturing and the blood starting to flow out and the man's screaming. And so he, got, he said, I couldn't see the adversary, but I could see the effects of the adversary. And, I, and thank God for somebody that knows his authority. And so he told this to that Hagen personally. And he said, I command you in Jesus' name. You come out of that man. You cease harassing him and you get off my property. This is my property. You're not permitted on my property. And that instantly stopped and there was no more attack. They took him to the house, took him three months to recover from those wounds. But all the, all the men quit the next day. Then nobody showed up for work. Because they're superstitious. If that demon's target, they believe it, that demon targets you. Then there's nothing you can do about it. So they called the witch doctor. The workers called the witch doctor. The witch doctor brings a pig and a chicken. If you don't let me cut the blood of this stuff in your property, then that thing will come back. He said, you take your pig and you take your chicken and you get out of here. This is my property and no demon is being sacrificed on my property. No blood sacrifice to a demon is happening on my property. What a, you'll be liable legally. I don't care. Get off my property. It'll never happen. And he had to convince those workers. I have spoken the command of faith. That demon will never touch foot on this property again. And some of them came back rose sheepishly, and then they realized that nothing happened the next day. And then they called their friends the next, and then all the crowd came back, and they all finished the house, not one occasion, not from that day ever again. Even though the witch doctor told him, guaranteed it'll happen. Because it's his property. Uh, Beverly, your house is your property. Your property is your, Oasis is our property. Nothing, nothing it's our property. My body is my property. Taylor, your body is your property. Anyone that comes within your sphere, they're coming on your property. What you say goes. You might be the only help that they'll ever get. You've got to be ready. You don't know what people are going through, the hell that they're going through. And if you intervene, you might be the only one that will ever have the boldness to intervene. And yet one word of authority can change their life. One word of authority can change their life. Joe, you hear that? Joe, you hear that? No brother, no brother Norval. Joe, did you hear that? I'm not putting up with that, Joe. The lady comes back across the full, the full restaurant. It's full. Passes Norval. And Joe McCrowski, Jerry's, you know, guy, cousin. They're eating lunch. 
Joe, do you hear that? Do you see that, Joe? I'm telling you, I'm not putting up with that, Joe. If she does that one more time, so help me, God. And Joe starts to sweat. Oh, Jesus, please. Oh, God, please don't let her come back. Oh, check, waiter, waiter, quickly. We need to go. We have an appointment. And sure enough, she gets up from that seat one last time. She walks past Norval, looks at him, and glares at him. And that demon growled through her. And <laughs> Norval, Norval, that's it. He threw his head. And he tackled her. He knocked her right to the ground in front of the waiter, in front of the whole restaurant. He straddled her, sat on her stomach, and said, I command you, come out of her. Don't mess with Norval in a restaurant, brother. And it took a few minutes, but those demons came out with a loud shriek. Everybody stops when demons start shrieking in restaurants. But listen, you better know God told you to do that. You better know. And then he just got off. Joe told me he just got off like nothing happened. Didn't even help the lady up. Just got up and went down and kept eating. The waiters are helping you. You, you okay? Oh, I feel so good. I feel so. What happened? And had no memory of what happened. Most people that are demonized have no memory of what happened. Now today, there's probably lawsuits and everything. So you better make sure God told you, because if you knock them to the ground, Lorraine, and you commanded to come out, but you don't really believe, and they don't come out, there's a lawsuit coming. I'm serious. We're in a little bit of a different time to back then. And Jerry's told me many people have crossed him about nine times, right, Jenny? At least nine times. I think it was in the teens, but I'll say nine because I, I want to go lower than higher. But people have passed him in the restaurant and had an epileptic fit right there. As soon as they get around his atmosphere, they have an epileptic fit. And he said, I can't tell you how many times I've just, climbed, I've just knelt down beside them and they're having a convulsion. And he said, I command you, come out of her in Jesus' name. And that thing stops. And then they pick him up. Are you okay, dear? Oh, what happened? What happened? You were having an epileptic fit, but Jesus healed you. Go on back and eat your Caesar salad. You're free now. And he sits back down like nothing happened. Jenny, these great generals didn't teach us for us to be a bunch of wimps. Norval didn't teach us this for us to not pay attention. Because Norval's gone. Jerry's still here, but a lot of them are getting up there. And we, and we got to take the torch. We've got to take the baton and say, either we believe this stuff or we don't believe this stuff. Lawsuit or not, embarrassment or not. Listen, if you really believe it, if, but you've got to meditate on it until you believe it. Where you know when I speak, it will obey me. And then on top of that knowledge, you've got the inner witness to be led by the spirit. I know demons will obey me, but there are times where the Lord says, don't. And I said, why, Lord? I need, you, don't you want him free? But he, sometimes he doesn't always tell me, and sometimes he does. Usually the times he tells me, they don't want him to be free. Their will is not in agreement. So you try to cast it out, I won't listen to you. And then you'll think your faith didn't work. Everybody watching will think your faith didn't work. And it will bring reproach to the name of Jesus. Don't, don't, don't do that. Remember that when that guy came, Jenny, and he jumped on me here? And he tried to, he put his hand on my throat and I pushed him back and I said, I command you to come out. And he glared at me and he started growling. Do you remember he was sitting right here? And then he jumped on me a second time and I pushed him back a second time. I said, come out of him in Jesus' name. Now I believe that that will obey me, but I know it didn't come out. In my mind, I'm saying, Lord, why won't it come out? I believe. And the Lord said, get him off your property. He wants it. And I looked at him and I said, you want that evil spirit, don't you? And he glared at me and he smiled and he nodded his head. I said, get off my property. Don't you ever come back. I'll call the police. And the ushers took him out. He could have been free. He doesn't want it. He likes the attention. He goes church to church looking for attention. In fact, before he jumped on me and started growling, he said, this is the only church I've ever gone to. I was going to make a scene in the back and I felt something come over my mouth and hold my mouth shut. He said, who are you? I said, and in that praise and worship while Taylor's singing, I heard the Holy Ghost say, bind the spirit of distraction. Under my lips, just real quiet, I said, I bind that spirit of distraction. And then I went right back to singing. And an angel put his hand over that man's mouth. And actually, he could not speak. He tried to speak, and he couldn't. The whole service, he was, he was manhandled by God. But then when the service was over, he came up to try to do it personally. And then the Lord said, get him off your property. You see, God knows. He knows. And so you've got to learn. You've got to know your authority, but you've got to be led by the Spirit because the Spirit knows. He knows who... Who want it and who don't want it. Now, I'll say this and I'll, and I'll be done. My wife said something very powerful. Well, maybe you want to share it or maybe you should share it another message and do a whole message on it. But Wilfred Reed, Reed it, is that how I pronounce his Reed. name? Wilfred Reed? Yeah, Wilfred Reed. 
Wilfred Reed, who was uh, John G. Lake's son-in-law. Okay, he passed his ministry to his daughter and his son-in-law before he died. And Wilfred Reed made a statement that I thought is, that has really helped Jenny and I. He talked about intercession. I'm talking about authority, but I want to I bring another aspect of it now with intercession. And he said, when you're dealing with a mountain, and sometimes it's a large mountain that you don't seem to be able to think you can move it. Now, of course, we know that authority and faith will move that. But he said, in my experience, certain situations in life and certain situations with people are so strong. And the devil is so, has been so rooted there for so many years, and he does not want to let them go. And he said, I'm looking at this mountain, and I'm feeling, Lord, I don't think this, 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 I believe, but nothing's happening. That's not what I'm saying in terms of casting a devil out. I'm talking about prayer now. I'm transitioning into prayer. And he said in a powerful statement, Jenny probably should preach on this one day, but he said, you know, you, oftentimes when you go into prayer, you try to move the whole mountain in one prayer session. Right. He said, but God taught me that you don't need to do it that way. He said, every time I face a large situation in the ministry of intercession, he said, I go and I lay one stick of dynamite or whatever it is, one pack of dynamite at the base. And I, and I pray that out until I get the victory and that thing goes off. He said, but I look at that mountain and only one little part is removed. And I come back the next day and I get into my harness and I start pulling an intercession and I put another stick of dynamite and I get the note of victory and the thing explodes and I look back and another part of the mountain's gone. And he said, sometimes it can take days and weeks and even months. But he said, so help me God, that mountain's coming down. Intercession is like dynamite. It will remove things one piece at a time. Don't be discouraged if it's taking longer than you thought because you got the note of victory and you're wondering why the whole thing hasn't changed because you've got note of victory in one explosion, but it might take 40. I'm not talking about dealing with a person. When a person with a demon comes, you cast it out and believe, especially if you don't have the inner witness not to, which means they're open for it. Now, that doesn't take 40 times. I'm not talking about that. That's an individual person. But I'm talking about when you're dealing with a situation. It could be about a person or not, but a situation that has confounded you. You don't understand. It's not moving. Jenny and I have faced that many times and are still facing that in certain family members and other people's lives. Where even with my father, who, who just is hard against the gospel. He got COVID. He should have died. He's almost 80. He didn't. Probably because my mother's been praying for him. He's had cancer while he had COVID. Six months of radiation. Lost all his hair, lost 100 pounds. He didn't die. It should have killed him. He was just pronounced cancer-free yesterday and COVID-free yesterday. So he feels like I've cheated death. I, I, Papa, you don't know nothing. I said, God saved you. You just don't, you don't want to acknowledge it because people are praying for you. I know the doctors help, praise God for them, but our prayers change things. Especially my mother's been praying more than even I have, but those prayers change things. But that's great that he's cancer-free and COVID-free, but he's going to go to hell if he doesn't repent. Who cares about cancer and COVID if you burn in hell? So I'm dealing with 78 years, 79 years of hardness to the gospel. That's not as simple as, now, if God said, cast that thing out of him, if there was something, then I can do that, but God didn't tell me to do that. So I'm dealing with that person, but it's a situation. Do you understand yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And it's a hard and long-held granite hard rock situation. How do I move that mountain? Nothing I seem to do or say moves it. Right. Nothing. But that word really helped me. Because every time I go into the mountain of his salvation, I lay a stick of dynamite and I take one little piece, Kim. And I will not be discouraged. It don't take my, I don't care if it takes a hundred sessions. There'll be a hundred sticks of dynamite and I'll blow a little piece. One devil, I'm going to blow your, your, your bind over his mind. I'll break you one stick at a time if I have to. I don't care how long it takes. He will not. I bar his way to hell. He will not go. He will be saved. I'm going to break that thing. I don't care how much time it takes. The devil is going to fall. Yes, his will is involved. But listen, if God has to send an angel and freak him out, God will send an angel. I will not permit him to go. But sometimes, Jenny, like you taught me, honey, it takes multiple sessions of dynamite in intercession. It doesn't all move that same moment. Do you understand? Praise God. So I don't want you to be discouraged if you're praying for something. It just means it needs a bit more dynamite. Just persevere. What does Ephesians 6 say? Watch and, and with supplication and perseverance. 
in the spirit. There is a push. There is a press. There is a, I'm not quitting. Now, it's different when you're dealing with devils on another level. You command and they come out. But some situations are so complex. And yet there are demons involved. So you may be dealing with that mountain. And then on one time, Lorraine, God says, now take authority over that spirit. And in that session, you bind that spirit. But you've got to believe that'll come out. But just because that spirit leaves doesn't mean the whole mountain is solved. Because that demon only held one bit of sway of influence. There may be 90 others. There may be hurts. There may be wounds. There may be, there's so much complicated in people's lives. So you've got to use your faith when you cast it out. But you've also got to understand that sometimes things take intercession and they take time and don't quit on that. Do you understand? But for whatever the reason was, I don't know who that was for. Maybe it's for somebody watching. Maybe it's, I believe it's for people here if they'll open their hearts. I know it was for me. If for nobody else, God just lets me preach to myself sometimes. Remember I said last night, there's that scripture that says that we are impacted and influenced ourselves and you by the anointing on us. I'm imparted to, I impart to myself. The Holy Ghost imparts to me while I preach. He don't let me out. You're not going to leave me out. I want to be in on it. So I've got something tonight to reaffirm and strengthen me that what I say goes, brother. I know it. I live it. But every now and then I need a little boost because the darkness can seem so dark sometimes and the devil can seem so stubborn sometimes. But I'm telling you, when I command it, it will obey me. And if I'm dealing with a complex situation that's got more than one moving part and more than one demon, I'll just keep going back and I'll just keep going back and I'll just lay as many sticks as I But that one way or the other, that mountain's coming down. That mountain will not stand before me. I give shouts of grace, grace unto it. Oh, who art thou, mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain with shouts, a, a voice, a command of faith, a bold shout of the power of God, the grace of God, the glory of God be against you. Praise God. In the Old Testament, they could not bind and loose, but our shout of grace is our command because we are the church. Hallelujah. 